0: Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and Lord, we're thankful that we can tell you everything and to bring our burdens to you, and Lord, knowing that you do care, we ask you to guide and direct in every part of this service tonight, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, we have not been moving very far in our outline, just a few points, so it may look much like the same page, but uh, let's go to Matthew chapter four and uh, as we are moving through the text of the Gospels, uh, we are combining uh, the four gospels together and uh, by the way, before I forget it those that are involved in children's church, if we could just have A few short minutes after the service tonight, uh, just to make sure we got the schedule consolidated here. But uh, here we are, uh, as we are moving through, we finished the baptism of Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, there was confirmation, there was a physical manifestation of the triune God. God the Father spoke from heaven, of course, Jesus the Son was there present. He was coming up out of the water. And the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. Now, uh, I don't want to take too long. We could take the whole night on that just one idea there. But uh, you cannot divide God up. Uh, You can't have part of God. I probably won't forget, as long as God gives me a thinker to remember... Uh, I was in Bible college, and I heard a preacher preaching on prayer. And he said, I pray to the Father. He said, but after I'm done, I pray to the Son a little while. And he said, I don't want the Holy Spirit to feel left out, so I pray to Him a little while. And I'm sitting here going. That is, as a Bible college student, I said, there's something wrong with this. And begin to open up the Bible and you pray to the Father in the name of the Son under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You do not attempt to cut God up into little pieces. Amen? In creation. It was the Spirit of God that hovered over the face of the water. It was God the Father that spoke. And yet John chapter 1 says everything that now is was created by the Son. He said it in in differently in the book of Revelation, the beginning of the creation of God. He was not the first thing created. He was the source. In your salvation... Jesus, the Son, offered himself through the Spirit to the Father to pay the price for our sins. The only time I know of in Scripture where all three persons of the Godhead manifest themselves physically, was at the baptism of Jesus. Just, just something to think about. Baptism is important. It really is. We Baptists, it takes the least amount of effort to get baptized. All we need is water in a church. Amen. Somebody says, well, what about, what about uh, shouldn't they uh, be baptized in running water? No, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It just says water. You've got to have enough to get you wet all the way at the same time. Uh, I remember a preacher at a preacher's meeting was telling a story about baptizing, and he said he baptized the guy, and as he put him down, his feet came up. And uh, apparently, he was sitting on the platform, and one of the assistants was baptizing. And uh, he figured he'd have a little fun with this, and uh, made whatever the umpire sign is for strike, and, and said, you got to do it again, retake. Uh, it, he, it didn't go all the way, and so the assistant, you got to put them all the way under at the same time, amen? That's the picture in the scriptures. And... Uh, All we find in the Bible, a biblical authority, John the Baptist, today it's the church. A biblical method, all the way under, full body immersion. By the way, after salvation, after a testimony of salvation, and then God presented himself to mankind... And in, in fact, if you take a moment, let's just do this before I, I forget to point it. Go to John chapter 1, then keep your finger in Matthew, we'll be right back. Verse 31. John is giving a testimony. I doubt we'll get this far in our notes tonight, so I'll just touch on it now. John is giving a testimony. To those that are listening before his own disciples, verse 31, he says, And I knew him not. I didn't know who Jesus, who the Messiah was going to be. um, But that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, am I come baptizing with water? And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode on him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now that's John's testimony concerning the baptism of Jesus. Now, one might think that with this incredible one-time-in-history manifestation of the triune God, that Jesus would just stay around a little while and start teaching and preaching and start his earthly ministry. But let's go to chapter uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, "...then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness." So Jesus was baptized, and immediately after that, as far as we understand, Jesus didn't stay around to talk or preach a sermon or explain that I want you to do what I just did. Immediately, he left and went into the wilderness. Now, the word wilderness in your Bible simply means a place where nobody lives. It was out in uh, the uh uh, Places where it wouldn't have been easy to build a house because there wasn't any water close enough to run to and get. Uh, People didn't live in the wilderness. And so Jesus went out in the wilderness and it's said to be tempted of the devil. And so our main subject tonight is going to be the temptation of Christ. And please... Uh, Do not allow your mind to go to the last temptation of Christ, which was a blasphemous, uh, uh, that's the simplest word to use, attempt to degrade Jesus. Jesus was sent into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. First, he fasted 40 days, And 40 nights. Now someone says. How could somebody live without food. 40 days. And 40 nights. Uh, That's not impossible. Uh, You have to want to. Number one. Uh, Number two. You have to be in good physical condition. And there's no reason to. Believe that Jesus was anything but. Uh, People have fasted. Uh, upwards of 40 and 50 days, after you start getting past 60, uh, that's when body systems start shutting down and things start happening. But uh, well within what we would call the safety zone, in fact, uh, remember when my wife and I were dating, a fellow had written a book on fasting and and uh, it was uh, published widely, and, and uh, he claimed to fast 40 days uh, at least once every year and all of this kind of stuff. So it's not an impossible period of time, but it is at the very end of human endurance. And we'll, we'll get to that point with the first temptation is the essence of the temptation and says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Now, what that simply means was not that uh, he was sitting there just hungry going, oh, I need to eat something. No, it was an understanding that if he did not eat something and start forcing himself to eat something very quickly, he was going to harm his physical body. And there are people that have starved themselves to death. And uh, many times uh, this new thing is hunger strike. Uh, some of you have heard about that uh, it's interesting, in modern times, very few people have died from hunger strikes in prison. Uh, they will go uh, certain periods of time. But there, there have been some shining examples, of, uh, especially behind the former Soviet Union, behind the Iron Curtain. People trying to draw attention to their plight have done this. But Jesus was fasting. He was in hunger. He knew the time had come. Uh, human endurance was was at its uh, very end, and now we have the devil coming. And when the tempter came to him, verse 3, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these that these stones be made bread. Now, that would be a temptation, would it not? Jesus had the power... What was the essence of this temptation? Well, uh, John tells us all that is in the world consists of three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, if we were to classify the need for food, you know, the lust of the flesh would probably be the simplest way to do that, would it not? And uh, how many of you have had to fight with the lust of the flesh even though you had a full table of food and you've already eaten, but you just like a little more because it's so good. Has anybody ever had that problem or am I the only one? Uh, what Jesus was doing here was he, he, the devil was tempting him using his flesh, but here's the ideal, was you take the power that God has entrusted you And take care of yourself. Now when you put it like that. How many of you have been tempted? The Lord isn't working. We got to do something. So Sarah goes to Abraham and says. I can't have children. God's not working. So let's use Hagar. To have a child by proxy. That's not God's plan. God does not need your help. He wants your service. I mean, all this work in the, in the building, and, and uh, I'm just so thankful that that Bible page is over. All we got to do is package them up safely and transport them out. Uh, uh, what a blessing that is. But while I was doing the work, uh, Stephen especially, he loved to come up, my son, and say, well, what are you doing, Dad? What are you trying to do here? Oh, I see. Well, why don't you do it this way? And then say, son, I didn't ask for help. That kind of help. Would you just hold the wood? Uh, Or would you just, Help me doing this stuff. Would you sweep up the floor after all the mess I made? But I want to do the fun part. That's what we all do to the Lord on a regular basis, is it not? You know, when we use the term the lust of the flesh, we normally just think of uh, pornography and those kinds of things, immorality. But there's a whole lot more to the lust of the flesh than what is typically categorized as that. It is satisfying our own needs, our way. It is trying to take care of ourselves. If you belong to God, who is supposed to take care of you? Now, let's be careful. We have those that sit on the other extreme. Well, if God's supposed to take care of me... I'm going to get me a little cardboard sign and just sit on Steinway Street and wait for people to put pennies in the cup so that I can live. No, that's not what God, God wants your service. He has direction. He has things that He wants you to do. When it talks about they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, the idea there is simply waiting on the Lord, but Something that may help us understand how that we're supposed to wait. How many of you have ever been to a really good restaurant? The wait staff is attentive. But they're not telling you how to eat your food. But if you need something, they're there. Now, that's the way we are. It's a great illustration of how we're to wait on the Lord. He has given us little things that He wants us to do. Amen? Instead of trying to help God with the big things, just do the things you're supposed to do on a daily basis. And so here the devil says, well, let's hurry this thing up. You're, you're in hunger. You've reached the end of physical endurance. You need to eat something. You've got to get this show on the road here. And I'm looking around. I don't see anything. Now, how many people know as soon as the temptation was over, what happened? God sent angels down to minister to him now, didn't he? Jesus was waiting on God. His answer to this temptation was scripture. Look what it says. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now I want you to keep your finger. We're coming back. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and verse 3. And I I want to take 30 seconds and chase a rabbit here. We may spend two or three minutes, but uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. The Lord is reciting in the book of Deuteronomy all that has happened to the children of Israel. It says, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Now, let's chase our rabbit. If you're memorizing verses in the teen department or for camp, and you quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 just the way that Jesus quoted it, Would you pass the test? No, because there were some words that were different. Now, if you read in any normal modern commentary, here's how they account for the difference in the words. Jesus was quoting a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament called the Septuagint. And uh, if you look in your commentaries, it'll have LXX. That's the Septuagint. Uh, Seventy Jewish elders were supposed to have translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Now, I'm not trying to be critical or please don't interpret this any way, but... Do you think you could find 70 orthodox or Hasidic Jewish religious leaders that would translate the scripture into any language other than Hebrew? I mean, does that make a lick of sense to you? Uh, let me tell you, there, there are Septuagints, but most of them are 3rd and 4th century A.D., And we have no complete Septuagint copy until we get to the 1500s, 1600s. Because there were many people who did little bits and pieces, but there was no such thing as a Greek Old Testament in Jesus' day. It is a complete imagination. So why are the words a little different? Well, the words are a little different because we've gone over this the Jewish people did not carry scrolls. Deuteronomy is a big book. The scrolls would have been, if you could get all of Deuteronomy on one scroll, it would be over 100 feet long. You wouldn't be able to carry that in your back pocket, my friend. And the scriptures were revered and taken care of and they were there Jesus quoted the very essence of the words in Greek that are in English. And anytime you put something from one language to another, there's going to be difference in words. And so, but how many of you, he only quoted part of the verse, but the rest of the verse that he did not quote was talking about how God suffered them made them suffer hunger in the wilderness so they would eat the manna. And what had Jesus just done? He had suffered hunger. And he said, God provided them manna. He's going to provide me food. I don't need to rush God. He will be on time as he always is. But, if we could learn this... Now now we've chased the rabbit. Anytime you hear the Septuagint, just mark it up to the figment of people's imaginations who want a multiplicity of translations so that they can justify their new translations of the Scripture, which they're trying to make money on. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so uh, sarcastic there, but that's, that's basically what it is. Now... Jesus quoted the scripture, but the whole point of this is there's something more important than life. Just existing. Wish we could learn this. How many people have done horrible, horrible things because somebody said, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you? Let me tell you something. I would hope that I would have enough Bible in me that if somebody came up and said, I want you to commit some great heinous act or I'm going to kill you, that I would just turn and say, you better get it done now because I'm not doing it. You see, there are some things more important than living. Obeying the word of God is more important than sustaining human life. The greatest desire of this flesh that we have is to stay alive. And uh, I'll illustrate it this way very quickly. I used to work in a nursing home. You want to watch somebody try to stay alive. Visit the critical care unit in a nursing home. I mean, there are people there that cannot turn themselves over in bed unless someone does it for them. They cannot eat unless someone takes the food and puts it on a tube and, and inserts the food into their body for them. We honor life. That's why they're there. Amen? But let me tell you, that person can say all they want to. I remember my great-grandmother. She was in her 90s. And she said, I can hardly see, and I can hardly hear, and I can hardly eat, and I- She said, I'm ready to go home. I keep telling the Lord I'm ready to die. She lived another eight years. The last two and a half of those years, she was almost completely comatose in a bed. Her daughter took care of her until God was done. Life is important. We honor life. But there are things more important than life. This book is more important. That's where the temptation was. And Jesus said, Man liveth by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Listen. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. We are tempted. And we don't understand why we keep sinning. Isn't that right? The reason we sin is because we're not understanding what Jesus taught us through these temptations. The next one, let's keep going. We're going to just follow Matthew here. Then the devil taketh him, verse 5, up into the holy city and sitteth him on the pinnacle, on a pinnacle of the temple. Now someone said, well, this obviously is speaking figuratively. Excuse me, I don't believe so. It says the devil taketh him into the holy city, this is into Jerusalem, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. Well, where was the devil if Jesus was on this pinnacle, standing on the top of this tower? He is the prince and power of the air. Jesus is God, remember that. He's not a man, just a man, but he was perfectly human as well. 100% man, 100% God, One person, Jesus Christ. You say, that doesn't make sense. Well, good. That means you're not as smart as God is, just like the rest of us. Amen? And he places him physically on top of this tower, this pinnacle in the temple, of which they have all kinds of incredible things talking about that if you stood on the pinnacle, of the temple was so tall that it would make you dizzy and you would fall off. And uh, We're talking about Jesus here. He's not going to get dizzy and fall off, all right? He was put there, and here's the temptation. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God... Cast thyself down, for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, what had the devil just done? He quoted Scripture. Just because somebody comes by quoting Scripture... Doesn't mean they're right. How many of you remember the Tony Alamo papers? They used to be put all over the place. Some of you do. Uh, I remember. I don't remember which one of the kids it was. I I know Sarah did it with me once. But it was we we went through the neighborhood. It was freedom their freedom of speech to put them out, and it was our freedom of speech to pick them all up and throw them in the trash. Amen. Uh, But Tony Alamo would put all of these incredible claims and then at the end there would be a hundred scripture references. All proving that a man ought to have more than one wife at the same time. Now, let me tell you, the Bible has answered that issue very clearly. And most people today have problems keeping one marriage together, and uh, let alone anything else. And so let's just do it as biblically as possible. But the devil's quoting Scripture. Just because somebody quotes Scripture doesn't mean they're telling the truth. He said, I want you to prove that you're the Son of God. I don't want you to prove it to yourself or prove it to me. I want you to prove it to all the people that are in the temple. Now, the temple complex was an incredible place. And we read in the book of Acts that on one day, 5,000 men were saved by hearing the preaching of Peter and John in one of the porches of the temple, and it wasn't even a feast day. This was a huge complex. There could be any given moment ten to 20,000 people in that temple complex. On Passover, they said they would offer over 100,000 sacrifices in one day. So stop and think of how many, how much man hours of work it would take to get that thing done. There were cisterns under the temple carved into the rock filled with water that was needed for the washing that contained hundreds of thousands of gallons of water. And they had all of this thing put together and working. And the devil says, it's time to prove that you're who God said you were. Now, what was Jesus' answer? And by the way, let's classify this. Would that not be classified as the pride of life? Let everybody know who you are, what you are. Explain. If you don't toot your own horn, nobody else will. Uh, that kind of thing. That's what people say. Here is Jesus' answer. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And you can read Deuteronomy 6.16, and it's simply the same thing. The children of Israel were in the wilderness, and they tempted the Lord by saying, You're not providing water for us. You're not providing food for us. You're not providing the different things that we need. It's time for you to do something, God. This idea of making things happen for God. Let me tell you something. If you will not accept Jesus by faith, you will not accept him if he came down here and slapped you upside the head, we might say. If you're from down south, you know what that means. Uh if Jesus were to physically walk down this aisle, if you did not already believe in him by faith, you would not believe in him. You cannot prove Jesus is God to anybody. I am not a fan of Christian apologetics. I do not believe that it is our duty as Christians to go into the world and try to prove to unsaved people that Jesus is who he said he is. He didn't tell us to, to use human reasoning. We have a whole group of people that said, well, what we need to do is we need to go and defeat all of the evolutionists in debates, and then they'll understand that there had to be a creator, and only Jesus could be the creator. Let me tell you something, they're not leading a lot of people to the Lord. It's not happening. If you are already convinced in your heart that there is no creator, there's nothing I can do or anyone else can do to help you. You have to willfully make a choice to believe in God. We are to preach his word. We are to tell people the story of Jesus. And the hardest part of all, we're supposed to live that story in our lives. And if people are going to be convinced, it's not going to be because of your reasoning. It's not going to be because of things that you show or things that you prove or logic that you lay out. It's going to be because of faith in the testimony of this book. That's how people get saved. That's why we call our church a Bible Baptist church. Amen? Because everything we do is about the Bible. It's because the temptation is to go some other way. Read Luke chapter 16. The rich man was in hell. He said... Send Lazarus to tell my brothers, lest they come to this place of torment. How many of you are familiar with the passage? If you're not, you need to read Luke 16. What did Abraham answer? They have Moses and the prophets. He said, but they're not going to listen to him. He says, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rose from the dead. It's the word of God that does God's work. Nothing else. The temptation is to try to do God's work a different way than God ordained. Everybody's looking for something bigger than the local church. Tell you what, that's why I'm so excited about the Home Missions Conference at Heartland next week. It's all about the local church. Let me share a blessing, Brother Monette. Most of you know him up in Canada. He called me today and uh, he said, Brother Pete, I can't make the meeting. Would you do a favor for me? I said, if I can. He said, well, I got $1,000 I want to give out at the meeting. Will you give it out for me? I said, Merry Christmas. Uh, I'd like nothing more. Because what that meeting is about is about church planning. It's about obedience to the word of God. And that is what we want to do because that's what the Bible says. It doesn't say go start television ministries and radio ministries and Bible studies. It says start churches. By the way, churches start churches. Not committees, not people who see the need, but it comes from the authority of a church that believes the Bible. I'm excited. New burgers are moving back in April. They're going to start a church in Brooklyn. That's what needs to happen. Amen? And so let's do things the Bible way. When you do it your way, what are you doing? Pride of life. We're running out of time. Let's go to this last one, and this is really probably the strangest one as far as you and I are concerned. We come here to verse 8, and again it says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. He says, it's all mine. He is the prince and the power of the air. He is the ruler of the darkness of this world. It is under his dominion because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What you own, what you control... You can give to others, can you not? And the devil said, listen, I will give you what I'm in charge of. All you have to do is worship me. And Jesus' answer is very to the point. It says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. The lust of the eyes. A shortcut. The kingdom without the cross. Of course, there is no kingdom without the cross. There is no salvation without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no God but the God of this book called the Bible. His name is Jesus. He has manifested himself to us in the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. One God, three persons, and I can't explain it, nor will I attempt to, because my God's bigger than what I can explain. It doesn't have to make sense to me because I am not the one who is the arbiter of truth. This is the truth. I choose to believe it. And guess who benefits? I do. Anyone. And you can take all of your human reasoning that you want but you cannot satisfy your eyes. You ever tried to? Somebody asked Rockefeller how much money was enough. He may have been many things. His grandfather was a Bible-believing Baptist, but he wasn't. But he wasn't foolish. Here was his answer. One more dollar. That's how much money is enough. One more dollar. Because you cannot satisfy. No matter what you do. You know, you ever got anything brand new? Something you wanted really bad? What happens? Gets worn out now, doesn't it? Gets scratched, gets dinged. I'll tell you what, if you're so concerned about things, you'll never serve the Savior. That's what this is about. Now again, we haven't covered everything in depth here, but we've gone over these temptations. I want to touch on just one thing very quickly here. If you read in Luke, he reverses the order of temptations 2 and 3. A lot of people like to use this as a claim that the scripture is full of errors, Uh, but Matthew wrote his testimony as a disciple of Jesus. Luke could have been as much as 30 years behind Matthew's testimony. And what was Luke doing? He was talking to Everybody, writing it all down in a notebook until he had what he felt under the influence of the Holy Spirit was a perfect understanding. Now, let me just put it to you this way. If you had two accounts of the exact same event and they matched in every detail, what would be your first thought? Uh, The word is collusion. That is where two people get together and manufacture the story, the details, rearrange the truth a little bit so that everything matches perfectly so that they can use it to deceive you. Peter said, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. You see, if everything were just perfect, then the people who argue with the Bible would turn around and say, see, it was all put together in the 3rd and 4th century by unknown people and so that all the details agree.'" Now that all the details are a little different, they say, see there, that proves that there's an error. You cannot have both sides of the argument, my friend. These are exactly the things that we would expect in stories and relation of events of people who had no connection with each other. Because the information, read Luke, Read Matthew, you cannot come up with any idea that it was talking about two separate events. The order, the reason that it's different, I can't answer why that is that way. Neither can you, neither can anybody else. But if I have a choice, make a choice, between believing the people who don't believe the Bible and just saying... We have two separate men, separated by time and distance, separated by years. Matthew was probably already dead when Luke wrote his story there. Luke was not using Matthew's gospel to write his story. He was using other events, and the Holy Spirit of God put it together differently. And I'll just believe my Bible. You say, that's childish. Well, Jesus said, except you become as little children, you shall no wise enter into the, except you be converted and become as little children. I'll do that. But I'll tell you what. If you had two people telling the same story 30 years apart, it's amazing that there's this much agreement between the two stories. Uh, That is the way I look at it. At the end of the time, he was ministered to by the angels. All of his needs were supplied by the power and timing of God. He returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as God, could not be tempted with evil because you cannot tempt God to do evil. But Jesus, as a man, was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. probably the simplest illustration would be how many of you ever played the trick with a pencil? Put it between your fingers and broke the pencil. Anybody else ever done that? It's very good for arthritis, by the way. Uh, No, it'll give you arthritis. (laughs) But uh, that is an illustration, the pencil of the nature of man When he is tempted, we break easy now, don't we? Well, what if I got a titanium rod and tied it to the pencil and tried the same trick? Yeah, Peter's already wincing at the pain. (laughs) Instead of the pencil breaking when you slammed your hand down, it would be fingers breaking. Because the pencil is very capable of being broken, my friend, but when you tie it to, bond it to a titanium rod, you're not breaking the pencil. Now, that's not a perfect illustration because Jesus was both in the same being. But it helps our little minds see who Jesus is. He was tempted. The temptations were real because, as a man, he could choose to sin. But as God, he could not. He is the sinless Savior. Every temptation that you and I face can be categorized. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every sin that we sin, the devil has nothing new. Jesus was setting the boundaries. Do you think the devil was only going to fight him here? but he already knew he was defeated but you know what the devil doesn't give up he keeps fighting what does that tell you and I about ourselves we have too many Christians that are looking for a time when they just won't be bothered by sin anymore let me explain to you when that's going to happen after you die not a moment before Say, I don't understand. I've been serving God all these years and living for Him, and I'm still tempted. Welcome to the human race. You're alive. So, what do we do? Get in the Word of God. Uh, Don't try to hurry God up, don't try to meet your own needs. Don't try to satisfy yourself. And don't ever try to prove you're somebody to the world. This is the essence of all false religions, right there. The essence of all sin. The devil was not playing games when he was tempting Jesus. He's much more successful with us than he was with the Lord. But it's the same temptations. And if we'll take the same direction the Lord did, we might do a little better than we do on our own. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. The God is faithful, who will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, there is no way in just one short service we could even cover all the depths of what is here, but Lord, I've tried to tonight. I ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to minister the Word where it needs to be in the hearts and lives of those that are here Lord, I pray we'd have no one here trusting in themselves for their own salvation or their good works. Lord, we come before you and ask that you would convict us of our weakness and let us rest in the words of the Savior, in the words of Scripture. Let us trust you rather than ourselves. Help us, Lord, that we may live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, before we say amen, let's just keep our heads bowed. We'll have the piano play. The altar is open. If you...